Lord, may the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing and acceptable to you, my Lord and my rock. Amen. The Pazudos have a saying, uh, God always slides into home base right underneath the tag. You ever feel like that happens? Like, right, I mean, or, or, but it always feels like God shows up like a week too late and $500 short. Does that seem that way to you? Uh, I mean, it just, it's like, it's like there's, a, there's this constant thing of like, he provides, but it always seems like a little on the slow end, you know? Um, that's, that's how it feels like in the Pazuto household. I don't know what it's like in yours. Um, today, we're going to look at the story from the Old Testament lesson. We're going to look at the story of these three strangers that show up at the tent of Abraham. You know, when we think about Abraham, we have to remember, we always have to look at the backstory of these kind of these characters in the Bible. Uh, Remember Abraham? Remember he's the one that God visits when he's in like Babylon. He basically, he's in Basra, Iraq is basically where he grew up. Um, he's in Basra and God comes to him and says, hey, I'm God, follow me. And he's a pretty wealthy guy. So he gets all of his servants together, his, his family household, you know, his uh, you know, 4,500 sheep. And he's like, let's do this. We're moving, you know. And they follow the Euphrates and the Tigris, and then they get up into Turkey, and they swoop on down through Israel, and they follow different rivers, and they end up in Canaan, which is basically modern day, we'll just call it Bethlehem. Uh, and so he's there. And this journey takes three to five years, we don't really know exactly how long, but he's there, and he has favor with the Lord the whole way through. His household explodes. I mean, he's got like a million sheep now, you know? I mean, basically, that's currency. He's a millionaire. You know, he's, I mean, he's just, he's got everything he needs. He's got, he's got tons of servants that all of the servants are having kids like crazy. He's got lots of servants now. But there's been a problem the whole way through. The problem is him and Sarah. The problem with him and Sarah is they can't have a kid. So basically what that means back then is their eldest slave is going to inherit everything. And they really don't want that to happen, but that's just how it's going to work for them. Their oldest servant's going to inherit everything. So part of the problem we run into with Abraham is this. I don't know if you remember the story. He gets all the way through, he gets all the way to Israel, and he's like, I'm just going to keep going. So he makes it to Egypt, right? And he gets to Egypt, and basically like a servant of Pharaoh is like, huh, who's this lady next to you? And, and Abraham's like, um, my sister? That's not cool. By the way, have you ever called your wife your sister in public? You know what I mean? You're going to get to talking to later. You know what I mean? And so, ooh, boy, that's not good news. And so he, uh, he, he says it. That's line number one right there. That's a big one. And so he, he drops that bomb, and Sarah's like, what is going on? He's trying to protect his family. He thinks that maybe, you know, if he, you know, in a polite way, if he allows them to, um, you know, see his wife as his sister, maybe he won't get killed. Um, but that's not cool. That's never been cool. Um, and so 
He justifies his action later. Later on in the story, they move back to Israel. Uh, back then, it was called Canaan. And remember, he's like, okay, God, you said you were going to show up one time. But the time has run out. Sarah is done past that age, right? And so I guess, Sarah, let's, talk, let's have a little talk about it. We have this servant girl. Her name's Hagar. Okay. So they, he has a kid with Hagar, right? And um, God's like, yeah, that's, you know, didn't really tell you to do that. And so that's kind of a problem, you know? I mean, like, it's not like an illegal issue back then, right? But it was a problem. Sarah knows it. And then all of a sudden, like a, two decades later, these strangers come by. And they're like, oh, the next time I come up, we come passing by, Sarah's going to have a child. And at this point, you remember, like, Abraham's something like 80 years old, you know? Yeah, 80. And, like, it's not like one of those crazy math problems where 80 was 50. No, no, no. Like, 80's 80, you know? <laughs> Like, don't, like, it's not biblical math going on here, you know? This is just normal life. He was 80 years old, and she was something like 75. Come on, ladies. So, I mean, it was done. You know, it was truly done. And they come back, and we all know the story, right? Isaac's born. And what's Isaac's name mean? Does anybody remember? It means he laughs. Laughter. Because Sarah literally gives birth and is cracking up laughing at how ridiculous the situation is. Because, you know, some of you are like great-grandmas at 75, right? And you know if you thought to yourself about having a kid at 75, what would you do? <laughs> That's right. You'd laugh too. You'd cry a lot as well. You'd cry a lot as well. But you'd laugh. And so this is what's going on, right? This is the story of Abraham. This is the story of God's promise, right? He slides in right underneath the tag, except it's not one week late. It's like 45 years too late, right? And it's not 500 short. It's like a billion short. I mean, it's like, where was God for all those years? Don't you ask that question sometimes? I know I do. Where was God for all those years? Like, shouldn't he have taken care of that like a decade ago? But that's not how grace works. Well, we have to compare that with Moses. Moses, remember, miraculously saved at birth, right? The little basket. We've seen, the, we've seen multiple movies about him. He floats down the river. Um, he's picked up. He's given to become a king, right? He's Pharaoh's favorite son, even though Pharaoh has his own son. He becomes the, the favorite son. Um, he grows up. He finds out he's an Israelite, gets really angry about it, and murders a person. By the way, murder has never been cool. You know, um, so like murder, he murders a man. Like, by the way, like that's a real sin, you know, like some people are like, well, Abraham lied. Like, it's kind of like, you know, people lie. Right. But like no one says, oh, he just murdered a person. You know, it's just murder. <laughs> right. So Moses murders a man. Right. And then he runs off into the desert appropriately, by the way, man, back in the day, remember like the Wild West, you know, can't do that now. People have social security numbers. You have, like, a face. They have cameras everywhere. Like, back then, like, you murdered someone just left. He was gone. You know what I mean? He disappeared off the face of the earth. He's out in the desert for 20 years. He gets married. He has some kids. He sees a bush on fire. He said, maybe I should check out the wildfire. It wasn't. It's an issue. Take off your shoes, buddy. You're on holy ground. God tells him you're going back. And he's like, ah, no. 
don't really want to do that. I don't want to go back. And God's like, I'm a burning bush that's not consuming the plant. I'm speaking like from the heavens or something like that. I've got the voice of James Earl Jones, you know, and I'm telling you to go back. And, and Moses is like, I've got the stutters and I can't really do it. And, and God's like, do you think I care? Like, do you, like, I'm the God of the universe. Look at the stars, buddy. Like, you're really, I've, I'm telling you, go. And so he, he begrudgingly is like, well, I've got my brother Aaron, and maybe he could do the talking, and I'll, I'll carry some weird serpenty stick. Okay. So he goes back. We all know the, we've seen uh, Charleston Heston a dozen times. We know what he does. Um, and he leads the people out of, of Egypt, right? And he's given the law, the Ten Commandments. Remember, God comes and, like, chisels with his own finger these ten laws. He cuts them out of stone with, like, his Dremel-like fingers, you know, pulls them out of, like, you know, of, of granite. Moses is walking down a hill. Remember what happens at the bottom of the hill? Anybody? Yep, I heard it. Golden calf, right? And he's like, God creates, like, God handwrites things. And what does Moses do? These people. Boom, he breaks them. You know, thankfully God wasn't really upset about that. You know what got Moses, by the way? Does anybody know what got Moses not into the promised land? It's the funniest story. He hit a rock twice instead of once. Do you remember this? He's told, oh, the people are complaining. They always did. Nothing's changed, by the way. People have always been complainers. And so he goes out, and the people are like, we're going to die. Let us go back to slavery. Well, we're starving. We're thirsty. And Moses is like, God, give these people some water. Yep, go to that rock and strike it once. And Moses is just really upset, and he goes... That was the straw. That was it. Afterwards, Moses strikes the rock twice. Water comes forth. They all drink. And God kind of whispers in his ear, you won't see the promised land. That's like pretty harsh. First off, if I was God, which thankfully I'm not, it would have been the murder thing that got him done. You know what I mean? But the murder thing for God was like, well, you know, it happens. But the, the striking a rock twice, no way, you're out, done. Whoa, harshness. By the way, what I want to show you in this is the difference between law, which is all about Moses. Moses is the lawgiver, right? He's the Ten Commandments guy. And how God reacts to law, which is law is harsh. The law of God is 100% righteous, but there's the, the backside of that, which is it can't be changed one dot, one jittle, as the New Testament says, right? There is the sense in which I tell you to strike a walk, rock once, you do it twice, you broke it. That's it. And what's the difference with grace? Abraham is under the covenant of what we call grace, right? And the covenant of grace is all of the sins that Abraham commits, all of the ways in which he runs away from God, the covenant is still fulfilled. Isaac is still born. He's born. He's given to him. And the promise continues. I went to Italy a number of years ago, and I drove up to Mount Etna in a Fiat. I loved it. It was like me and my friend and my mom, we were like driving up this little tiny 
Fiat 500, you know those little tiny cars? I'm like, mm, we're driving up Mount Etna. I'm like, this is the coolest car in the world. Look at this little thing. You know, we're driving up the mountain. We get up to the top. We, like, see some snow, and, you know, there's gas venting. And I'm like, this is, like, the coolest little sporty car I've ever driven. I love this little thing. So we get back from, you know, Italy, and my car is kind of at the end of its life, and I'm like, I'm buying one of these Fiat 500s. So I buy a Fiat 500. I don't tell my then fiance, who's now my wife, I, I didn't tell her that I was buying a car. I just bought this car. That was mistake number one. Secondly, I didn't think about the future at all, which is we had teenage children. You know what I mean? And so people, more than two people were going to need to be in this car. And this car is not designed for really two people, let alone four, right? And so I buy this car, right? Short-sightedly, I buy it. I love it driving around. It's a stick shift, by the way, too. I love driving a stick shift, except no one else can drive a stick shift, so that was a mistake number three. And so, what do I do, right? Foolish choices in the beginning, what do they always do? They cost you in the end, right? And so I remember the next year, on my wife's birthday, by the way, this was another nice, nice move on this one, um, I, uh, on her birthday, I take her car shopping so we can buy a new car for me. That's a great thing to do. Um, don't worry, I don't hear about that one still. And so, the, um, you know, that was, that was a real deal. So we take her out. and back, But of course now I'm behind, right? So, like, I owe a ton of money on the first car. And now I'm buying a second car, right? And so now I'm, like, backloaded in payments, right? And I'm paying, like, $400 a month for a car that's, like, 150 a month, right? Um, and I'm trading that car in, what, like, three years later? It was a year later. So I ended up trading that car in a year later. And, and under the, I knew, I wanted to make sure I got the year right. So I ended up trading that car in a year later. Hold on. So I got that tra- a year later. And at this point, we were like, look, you have to keep this car for 10 years no matter what. Because that's probably like the payments. But I had like literally just made dumb mistake after dumb mistake, right? And this is what happens when you do that, right? You, I was stuck in a car that was backwards in payments. And now I have to have a vehicle for 10 years. By the way, that's the vehicle I'm still driving. And I will be for another six years. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm driving that car, you know? And so that's what happens, right? When we try to beat God at his game, when we try to do God's work, when we try to be the ones that, kind of like the Abraham Hagar situation, right? When we go, God's not quick enough. God's not moving fast enough for me. I'm going to do something. It, It just doesn't work in the end. It seems to work in the meantime, but it never works in the end. Another example of this, right? How many of you have been watching the HBO show Chernobyl? Have anybody watched that, by the way? It's a great show, Chernobyl. And, and it's about, you know, obviously the Chernobyl accident that happened, right? And, and I was thinking about this. It comes down to a simple test. There was a test that was supposed to be run, and it was supposed to be run in a particular way. But someone wanted to rush it. You didn't get the pun there. I said, rush it. Russia? Rush it? Come on. Come on. Man, I'm giving you gold here, people. So anyways, the, the, uh, I, I, you know, the, so they wanted it to happen, right? They wanted, it, they wanted that, that test to happen quickly. And what happened was an event that became cataclysmic that ended up still we're dealing with I don't know if any of you have had Chernobyls in your own life, 
I've had a few where I've delayed or I've put off or I've jumped into something that's, that will be costing me for decades. The good news is this. Jesus comes and fulfills the law. All of those expectations that are put upon us by the world, by ourselves, are all met in Christ. And whether it's our mortgage or our car payment, right, whether we're backwards in in obligations to family, or whether we're a liar like Abraham or a murderer like Moses, we're no longer underneath that weight. We're under the free gift of grace. We're under that covenant like Abraham, where he makes all of these mistakes, but in the end, God's promises are fulfilled. And here's the thing for you and for me. The promises of God are fulfilled. They're fulfilled in Christ. They will be and are being fulfilled in your life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.